Good morning, church. You are in a treat today, and the treat is you're not listening to me. This is the bonus, all right? So what we're going to be doing today is this. Um, as we've been talking about, we're in the third and final part of our series, Stepping Up and Stepping Out in Faith, and just exploring the adventure of the next chapter of our church's life as we've been studying the uh, crossing of the Jordan in the book of Joshua in the very beginning. And so I'm super, super pumped that the person who gets to bring this to you in finality is none other than Eric Swanson. As I've been telling you guys over the past couple weeks, um, specifically last week, Eric is our candidate for our campus pastor in Morris. And so he's someone who we wanted to bring in and have him close off the service. Um, I said things about Eric last week that I will not say to you in front of him. Um, <laughs> but then I realized that we stream our services and so he heard them. <laughs> There we go. But he is someone who I had a chance to watch grow up. He grew up um, uh, growing up in Morris, and then I had a chance to watch him in the student ministries um, in, in our area at different camps, and then watch him follow God's lead into, into vocational church work. Um, we've shared about the fact that neither one of us were super inclined to be pastors, um, and yet God really brought us to the point of realizing we needed to take that step. And we're, we just have watched the fruit of that ever since. And it's been so, such an encouraging thing to see God at work, working with the church. And so I, I'm just, I don't want to take any more of Eric's time, but I just wanted to let you know that you're in for a treat today as he finishes off our series on the beginning of the book of Joshua. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Swanson. <laughs> Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's awesome to be here. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, I'm excited to be with you, to be invited to be a part of this. And so uh, I appreciate your prayers for me and my family as we just listen and follow God. And uh, I've been praying for Errol and the team and, and this, this church for you guys to, um, for the same, to just hear and, and to follow God. So uh, my family's not here this morning, but I brought a picture. It's the second best thing. So um, this is my wife. We... Uh, I'm from Morris, Illinois. She grew up in Joliet. She, went to, she graduated from Plainfield High School when there was only one of them. So um, we've been married for about 14 years. We've got these four kids. My daughter's 12. Uh, these two guys in the middle, they'll be 11 this week. And then we've got this three-year-old straggler, this boy on, on my wife's lap. So he's got really long hair. If you weren't sure from the picture, that's okay. But um, yeah, he's kind of spoiled because there's five people that exist to feed him and take care of him and entertain him. And so... We're a little, we're a little worried about him, but man, we, I just love my family. You know, children are a gift from the Lord, and I love my wife and our kids. We, we enjoy our kids. Uh, I play. All I do is play with my boys. When they went to camp for a week last summer, I just bothered Cherry to play with me all week, and she's like, "What is wrong with you?" And I was like, "I miss my like ten-year-old boys," you know. And so uh, that's my family, and they'll be here next weekend. So I'm pumped for you to be able to meet them. Uh, I grew up in Morris, Illinois. My folks still live where I grew up in Morris. My brother still lives in Morris. He and his wife and kids go to this church. I've got some other family members and friends that go to this church. I, I've kind of been aware of and uh, um, friends with Manuka Bible Church for, for all these years uh, between people that go here or work here. I've known Errol since I was in high school. And uh, I've known Jason Domingo, your student's pastor, since I was in college. And we became good friends. And so uh, this is just a crazy thing that this is even a thing. So uh, I serve as the youth pastor at my church in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Um, we moved up there about three years ago. And... Uh, it's just been an awesome, awesome place. It's a really great church full of people who love God. And we're seeing a lot of people come to know Jesus at our church for the very first time. Um, 
I oversee our, our middle school and high school ministry. My wife, about a year and a half ago, that, uh, was invited to oversee our preschool ministry on the weekends. And so she's actually back home doing that, leading the teams of volunteers and ministering to kids birth through kindergarten every weekend. And um, she's just done an awesome job with that. I'm really proud of her. And so we, we love our church. We love the leadership of our church, the vision of our church. When we got there three years ago, the church is about 900 people. Uh, now we're seeing about 1,400 people every weekend and it's just growing. So uh, you can imagine just the, the quick pace, rapid growth, new people, life change, you know, stories. And, and it's been really, really exciting. Uh, our student ministry is growing and that's fun to be a part of. And uh, last year we actually built like, a, a big addition under our church, this huge lobby and a new auditorium for worship on Sundays and the weekends and uh, it's just awesome and we love our church and we feel at home there and our kids serve there and we were not wanting to leave, we, you know, we still don't really want to leave and like we, out of the blue I get this call from Errol and uh, he says, hey, I, I just want to throw something at you to pray about. I was like, okay and uh, he said, well, our church has been talking about doing another church campus for a few years and we've decided we're going to do that in Morris. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, I'm from Morris and I think they could use a church like you guys. And uh, he's like, yep, we feel like that's what we're going to, and we're going to plant a campus, uh, but we're not just going to show a video of what we do in Manuka. We're going to have, like, we want a leader there who teaches on the weekends and stuff. I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And he says, we wonder if that might be you. I'd like you to pray about that. And I was like, whoa, okay, like, what is up with this? You know, we've, been, we've only been at our church for three years and we love it and we're at home here. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. And now over the last couple of months, we've been able to talk about it and continue praying about it. And, and so here I am, you know, and as we all go through this together, uh, just hearing from the Lord and, and following. But I'm excited for what Manuka Bible Church is going to do, sending another campus to reach more people. And I believe that's what God wants you guys to do. Um, some more things about me. I love coffee. So that's something I love about Manuka Bible Church is they serve, you know, a lot of churches that serve coffee serve lousy coffee. And you guys have good coffee. So that's pretty cool. Uh, a big Chicago Cubs fan. Anybody else? Cubs fans? It's a good time to be a Cubs fan in the last few years. There's a long life until then. But... Um, I love sports. I love to play with the kids. And uh, growing up, my best sport was probably tennis, um, only because most of the other kids didn't play tennis. And so, like, it was just easier to stand out. So, um, I was on the high school tennis team at Morris High School over there, and no one really cared about the tennis. Like, literally, our coach had never played tennis. It was just one of the gym coaches. All they care about is football. And so, um, we didn't know what we were doing. But what I loved about tennis was you get a redo, right? So when it's your turn to serve, you hit the ball over the net, you got to aim for this little box. If you miss, they give you a redo. It's like kindergarten. It's awesome. And so what we would do is, uh, what I would do, a lot of us on the team, we would take that first serve and we would just whack it as hard as we could possibly swing and pray that it goes in. Because if it actually lands in, which it usually didn't, the guy on the other side, it'd be, it'd be a sweet point. He'd be all intimidated. You would look awesome. You would feel awesome. And if you miss, which 90% of the time you did, you get another try. And so I just love the redo. Um, I realized later on when I got a real coach that actually knew how to play tennis, that was a pretty lousy strategy of tennis. But we felt real, it was like a macho contest on that first serve. And so um, then from Morris High School, I went to Moody Bible Institute. And I just felt like at the time, like second semester senior year, I felt very clearly like God was telling me that's what he wanted me to do. I didn't even know if he wanted me to be a pastor yet. I just kind of followed him there. And so at Moody, I played on the volleyball team. 
Well, I didn't actually play much. I made the team, but I set the bench. So uh, I was on the volleyball team with Jason Domingo. He became one of my really good friends. We went to Moody together on the volleyball team. I mostly got to watch him play. I was like on the sidelines. I had to keep stats during the games because there's no way I was actually going to get in on the court. But I got to play in practice. And I remember, uh, you know, I, it's my turn to serve, and I can just whack that sucker, and I miss. And I'm like, all right, hit me again. And they're like, no, that's the other team's point. I was like, where's my redo? You know, like, what kind of sport is this? I need a redo on the serve. And it's really, it's like that in life for a lot of us where there's times where you wish you could have a redo, right? You could probably think of a decision or a moment. For me, I think of like uh, several things, but like if you're like me, the first time when you're a teenager and you get pulled over and you get a speeding ticket and for the next few weeks, you're like, why was I driving on that road so fast? Well, I wouldn't have been that late anyway. You know, it was, it was so stupid. I wish I could redo that. And we don't always get redos, but the story that we've been looking at at the beginning of the book of Joshua is really a redo story. And so as we kind of jump in today, I want to just kind of recap where they've gotten to to this point. So this series is about Joshua leading the nation of Israel and um, to step up and step out in faith and go into the promised land. But this is actually a second chance that God's given the nation. So years before, you have the nation of Israel. And they're living in Egypt as slaves. And they cry out to God and he hears their cries and he sends Moses. And he sends Moses and says, I'm going to use you to lead the people and to deliver them from slavery into freedom, out of Egypt, into the promised land. And so he does and God, through all kinds of miracles, leads them out. As they go, they go right through the Red Sea. God does this amazing miracle where he parts the waters and they walk through and then the army chasing them down drowns in the water when it crashes on them. And he does this amazing miracle and he says, all right, I want, and he meets with them at the mountain and he, and he reveals himself to them in sweet ways. But if you're reading the Bible, it's only a couple of pages later that they're like complaining about God and whining to God. And why did you bring us out here? We wish we were still slaves. And, and they're totally changing their tune. And it's almost like they forgot about this miracle of the Red Sea. In the Bible, the miracle that's recalled the most times is the Red Sea. It's like the most celebrated, biggest miracle of all miracles. They talk about it all the time, but the people that actually walked through on dry ground through the Red Sea, it's almost like they forgot right away. And so they say, we're too scared to go into the promised land. We don't want to go into the promised land. And so God says, okay, then I'm not going to let you. I have sweet blessings there for you. Uh, this, is what I, this is my plan for you. But if you won't do it, then I won't, I won't let you. But God always keeps his promises. So what God says is, I'm going to let you guys wander around in the desert until the entire generation dies. And then I'll try again with your kids' generation. And that's literally what happens. For 40 years, they wander in the desert. And even Moses is not allowed to go in to the promised land. So Joshua comes along. He's the leader who replaces Moses. He's the new leader of this Israelite group. And, and um, their parents have literally died. And now they say, now God will give us a redo to go into the promised land. And that's where we get to in the book of Joshua. As Joshua leads them across the Jordan River into the promised land. And so we're doing this series, Stepping Up and Stepping Out. And so here's what we've said. The first week, Pastor Errol said this, we can take a step of faith because of God's faithfulness in the past. And he talked about how Joshua and the Israelites could see uh, all the stories of who God was and how he'd worked, and they can trust God from his faithfulness in the past. Then last week, Pastor Errol said this, we can take a step of faith because of God's presence in the present. 
that we can see that God is with us here and now. He talked about how um, the, the, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant, which is uh, this incredible box that was made of gold and all, but God had said, I will cause my glory to physically dwell at that box with you. And so uh, they would literally carry that Ark of the Covenant into the water and that's when the water stopped and all the people walked by and they could see that God was with them. And it's the same for us. As we see that God is not just a God of the past but that he's with us now, we can take bold steps of faith. And then today, here's what we're gonna say. We should take a step of faith because of the fact that our faith impacts the future. Okay, so yes, we can trust God from who he is in the past, we can trust God from who he is now, but we can know and believe and go forward in faith based on the fact that we know that our faith today impacts the future, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Joshua chapter four. Open your Bible or turn on your phone or whatever you've got to Joshua chapter four. We're gonna pick up right where we left off last week. So last week, we talked about the story of them actually walking through what was the river on dry ground, this whole nation crosses through to the other side, and we're going to pick up on the other side in Joshua chapter 4. Certain in verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight, okay? So they're going to get these stones. Now, did you guys bring stones today? Anybody bring their stones back? I heard about this. I thought it was kind of weird. I was invited to be a guest speaker, and I found out all the people brought rocks, okay? <laughs> That's never happened to me before. And it gets worse. I found out that the lead pastor told them to bring these rocks. For two weeks, he kept reminding them. He, in fact, he armed them with these weapons and said, bring names when Eric comes to talk. So um, hold on to those, please, and, until the, at the end, we're actually going to do something with those rocks. But this is where it comes from. This is why he was handing out stones and, and telling you to bring them back, okay? So he, God says, uh, wait, 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 wait. Before the priests come out and the water goes back, get one guy from each tribe, tell them to go get one of these stones from right in the middle of the bottom of the river and bring it out. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse four. So Joshua called together the 12 men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said, go over before the ark of the Lord your God to the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So these stones were a big deal. And that's what we're going to do this morning with our stones. Two more verses I want to read. Verse 8. So the Israelites did just as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the camp where they put them down. Verse nine, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are still there to this day. So these stones were a big deal. And God's like, before I put the water back, before those priests come out with the ark that they're carrying, um, send back 12 guys, a representative from each of the 12 tribes, get one big stone each, carry it on your shoulder, we're going to build a memorial of what God has done here, because this is an amazing miracle. And it's just interesting, he parted the Red Sea to bring the people out of Egypt to the promised land the first time, he kind of has to wait to give the, the nation a redo, and he basically does the same miracle again to get them where they would go. But this time he's like, I don't want you to forget it. 
Because last time, two pages later, it's like you don't even know that it happened. So here's some of the things that I think is just interesting about these stones. First, the stones were proof, right? These stones were the evidence that this story that they might tell other people actually happened. If you look back at verse 9, it says this, and they are still there to this day. Now this confused me. There's other places where you read scripture where it'll say, and they're still there today, or, or something like that. And as a growing up, I was like, I, that's not true. I don't think those are still there. I don't think these 12 stones are literally still standing there, you know, 3,000 years later. There might be a replica that someone has built or something like that. If you go on the Israel tour, you can look for them. Um, but I was like, is, the, is God's word not infallible? Is it not true? Where I want to see the stones. But the guy's not saying, in 2019, the stones are here. You've got to think, the person who recorded the story, they heard these stories, and then years later, they're writing this book. And he's like, you don't believe me? we still got the proof. They're still there to this day. As I write this, I can go see the stones. Because it was a big deal that they had proof of what God did. This is a story that they would tell. And there was a bunch of people that had the story. They lived the story. They walked through the, what was the river. But then they'd have kids and grandkids and nations around them. And they were going to say, no, you see those stones? Those stones right there were in the bottom of that river. But when it was dried up for a few hours, we drug them out and we built this memorial to God. The stones were a big deal. The stones were proof. The second thing is the stones were to help people remember and worship and trust. So like when God did the Red Sea, the people almost forgot about it and turned their back on God. And I feel like God's saying, I don't want you guys to forget this. So you're going to build this memorial. So every time you walk over here, you'll see those stones. Your memory will be jogged and you remember this amazing event. I don't want you to forget who I am and what I've done. It's to help them remember. But that should cause us to worship. When we remember who God is and what he's done for us, he wanted them to worship him. And same for us, that we would say, God, thank you for being a powerful God. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for what you've done for me, that I don't just remember you, but I worship you for it. And then, out of my worship for you, I have more trust to go forward. So that the rest of our life, as we remember who God is and what he's done, and we worship him for that, then we trust him more and more to follow him, continuing to follow him. So these stones are a big deal because they're proof. These stones are a big deal because they would help people remember and worship. Uh, in verse 7 it says this, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. He wanted the people of Israel, not just those people who were there, but forever to remember, to worship him for it, to trust him because of it. I just want to read the end of this uh, story and later on in this in this chapter four, if you've still got your Bibles open or turn your phone back on, chapter four, verse 15. So after the guys go get the stones, this is just really cool to me. Then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 16, command the priests carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. This is really cool. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage just as they had before. So I feel like it's a two-part miracle, right? First, they're on this side of the river, and it's at flood stage. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of people in this nation of Israel that was supposed to cross this river. And uh, some scholars might even estimate a million and a half or two million people with all the you know, the warriors and their wives and their kids and this whole nation. 
and they can't cross the river. But God says, when the priests with my Ark of the Covenant step into the water, I'll cause them, they take that step of faith, and whoosh, the waters dry up. But then it says they pass on dry ground, which is amazing to me. It wasn't just like, oh, we won't drown. But think about how muddy that would have been if hundreds of thousands of people marched through this swampy mud. They would have been up to their waists by the time half of them got across. But it says they went through on dry ground, which I think is amazing. But then when they get to the other side, and the guys go get the stones and everything else, all the people are still on this side of the riverbank and they're watching and as the last guys carrying the ark take a final step out of the riverbed whoosh the waters flow and it's like just as amazingly miraculous to see it go back to how it was I just think that's that's really amazing and God wants his people to remember that forever so he tells them to make this memorial so that you'll remember so that you'll worship and so that you'll trust and the third thing about these stones is the stones inspire future people so he says, build this memorial so that you never forget. But he also says, I want it to be a memorial forever. And the idea is, it's not just so the people that were there remember, it's also so that your kids and your grandkids and the other nations and everybody else that becomes a part of this thing, whoever hears the story, will be inspired by your act of faith and what your God did for you. Look in verse six, he, right away, they talk about the future. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? then you can tell them the story. He was, God was aware of the fact that this isn't just a one-time miracle that I'm gonna do something cool for you guys. God's writing a story with the nation of Israel and he doesn't just want this one generation to know about him and remember it. He wants generation after generation of, of Jesus followers to know what he did and to know what he's capable of and to re remember him and worship him and trust him. And so even right away, this memorial is one, to remember, and two, to inspire people who aren't even here yet, to inspire future. And that's what faith does. If, you're, if you've got your notes and you're taking notes, write this down. Faith inspires future faith. This is what happens when, when someone who loves God takes a bold step out of faith in him, what, he, what, what I feel God's calling me to, and I take a step of faith, it inspires everybody else. Your faith in the, you know, you have more faith because of following God, so it inspires your future faith, but there's other people who hear about it, see it, you know, are blessed by it, and their faith is bigger. So here's what I think is really cool. You and I read this story, and it's over 3,400 years old. But you know what? When I read it, my faith is inspired. I trust my God more. I worship my God through this story. It wasn't just these people's kids who got to hear this story and have their faith grow. It's you and I, 3,000 years later, we read the same story, we worship the same God, and our faith is inspired because they had the faith to actually do what God called them to do. That's amazing. You are here this morning, and you're a direct result of steps of faith that some men and women took to start Manuka Bible Church 40 years ago. And they decided that God was calling them to start this church and there was a need here and that's what they thought God would do. And so they stepped up and they stepped out in faith. And here we are for 40 years. People have come to this church and found Jesus as their savior. They found eternal life. People have grown in their faith and their relationship with God as a result of the people and the ministries of this church. And it's a result of the faith that they took and their step of faith inspires our faith even today. If you're a Christian, then no doubt... You believe in Jesus because somebody told you about him. 
Somebody shared their faith with you. They invited you to church, whatever it was. And their faith has inspired your faith. It gave birth to your faith. Maybe it was uh, not just when you became a Christian, but it's a, a hard moment in your life that you were going through where you were able to kind of lean into and latch on to somebody else's faith. Because when someone else practices bold faith in Jesus, it inspires future faith in them and in others. And this is what God wants for every one of his children. To be an individual who says, I will follow God no matter what, I will step out in faith. And when I do, it will be used by him to inspire faith in other people. But this is also what God wants for the body of believers, for the church, to be a group of people, not just individuals, but a group of believers to say, we will step forward in faith together. Here's, um, here's what obedience in faith does. When you feel God saying, I want you to do something, Here's what happens when you listen and you step up in faith. First, it allows you to accomplish what God wants for you, right? If God's calling you to do something, to say something, to be something for somebody, uh, you won't be able to accomplish what he's asking you to do in, unless you go and step in faith. So just, there could be lots of examples, but let's say you feel like God's telling you to uh, talk about Jesus with somebody, a coworker, a friend at school, whatever it is, and you feel like, this is, I feel like God's telling me to do this, but it's scary, I don't want to, I might screw up, we got all of our reasons and our excuses, and so when that happens, you will only accomplish what God wants to use you to do if you step out in faith and actually try. You don't have to have all the answers, but if you just give it a try, I believe that God will honor that. Now maybe, just maybe, you tell that person about Jesus, and boom, they, they believe in Jesus, and they're saved for eternity right there, and that won't happen unless you step out in faith. Maybe you step out in faith and it's like, well, I don't even know what that did. They didn't come to church. They didn't believe in Jesus. But maybe it's a year later or two years later that they give their life to Jesus. And you're part of the story of faith that's inspired the faith in them. They remember when you stepped out in faith. You don't know what God's going to do unless you step out in faith and, and obey. So it accomplishes what God wants to do. The other thing is when you obey God in faith, it opens your life up to receive his blessings. And it's not a game where we say, if I just uh, do what God wants me to do over here, then I'll get whatever I want over here, right? We're not trying to score points with God to, like, to earn something. But it's very clear through the Old Testament and New Testament that God honors obedience, that God blesses obedience. It doesn't always mean riches and glory and whatever you want you know, in your life, but God will give you blessings maybe that you didn't even know to ask for. And um, that happens when we obey. It grows your faith. When you step in faith and obey, it grows something. It's like, it's like a seed planted in you that takes roots. Faith is like a muscle. And so when you exercise it, it, it gets bigger. So not only will you accomplish what God's calling you to do if you step out in faith, but your faith will be bigger in the future. But then the other thing that it does is your faith and your obedience will impact other people's lives. Faith inspires future faith. It could be in the same example, right? So you feel like God's telling me, God's telling you to share Jesus with somebody, to just bring up the conversation and ask them what they think. And, and uh, your, your faith could inspire their faith. They might become a Christian someday and it's partly from what happened with your, but the other thing is, I think there's unseen uh, contagiousness to faith. Other people will notice when you live in faith. People that you live with, your family, people that you go to church with, that you serve with, you know, neighbors, people are going to see your lifestyle of, of faith and it catches on. It spreads. It's contagious. I want a little bit of that action for myself. When you are bold and faithful, it, I think it inspires other people to be bold and faithful because faith inspires future faith. So I want you to think about this. Whose faith has inspired you? Who, who was it that helped you uh, have faith in Jesus to begin with? Or who was it that got you through a rough season of life and it was their faith that was inspiring and helpful to keep you going? Who was it that helped you grow? I would imagine there's a few names that come to almost everybody's mind because 
That's how God uses his people, to reach other people. That's what God calls his disciples to do, is to go and make more disciples. And you ought to be a Christian because somebody told you about Jesus. And so you can see that you're a result of their faith inspiring your faith. For me, I have several names that come to mind from, you know, a kid to an adult. And, and, um, but one of the, one of the, several of the names that come to mind are my family members, my, my grandparents. And I'm like really, really blessed and grateful to God for, I live, I'm, I'm part of this heritage of faith where my grandparents on both sides of my family knew God and loved God and followed God and my parents were raised that way and they knew God and loved God and they raised me to know and love God and I'm so grateful for that. I married a woman whose parents know God and love God and so we're raising our kids hopefully to know God and trust him and follow them with their life and our hope is that someday they'll have children of their own and they'll pass that on to them and I'm so thankful for God for that. That's that's the story he wrote for me but my grandparents' faith and the, the decisions they've made and the lessons they've handed down have inspired me and they inspire me still today. For you, you might be the first person in your family that ever became a Christian. We all have different stories, but somebody somewhere's faith inspired you. Faith inspires future faith. So we can look back and see God. We can look around now and see God, but we should look forward and say, I need to do whatever God says I should do in faith because he will use this and do great things. Then the opposite side of the coin is also true disobedience also has consequences. Our faith inspires future faith, but our disobedience, our lack of faith, causes us to miss out on God's blessings. So think about this. This is not the first time that God wanted them to go into the promised land. The first time they did not follow in faith, they kind of blew it and they missed out on these blessings. I feel like 40 years later, God's saying, I'm gonna give these guys the blessings of this amazing place and this fertile soil and everything that I have for you. And I wanted to give it to you, but without faith, you miss out on these blessings. The thing that's interesting to me the first time they were supposed to go into the promised land, what they were scared of wasn't like a river. They weren't scared of how they would get into the land. They were scared of the people and the nations and the challenges that were inside the land once they got there. And so now if you think about the nation of Israel under Joshua, they cross this river and it's a great miracle to get there, but all of their original fears are still very real. The same people and powerful nations and challenges are still in front of them. If anything, their situation's only gotten worse because now they're in enemy territory and they're in unknown, dangerous land and the river that they can't cross closed behind them and they can only get across with another miracle. So I would think they'd be more afraid than ever. And what they do is they pause and they have this sweet worship service and they make a memorial to say we love God, we worship God, we want to remember this forever and we trust God going forward. They're very aware of the scary people and the powerful nations. They're very aware that there is much work to be done. They didn't get across the river and high five, we made it, we're here, yeah, go God. They knew that there was more steps of faith to take than just going across the river. But they didn't want to forget who God was or what he did for them because that would be what it takes to get them where he wants them to go. Look what God says in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Then in verse 24, he says, He did this, God did this, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. The reason he brought them to where they are, he's blessed them the way they are, he wanted them to set up these memor this memorial of stones, is so not just so they would remember, but for all the people of the earth would know our God is the one true God who can do anything and has done crazy things, and he is with us. And then he says, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. 
I love that in Joshua 4, they go and they get 12 stones and it's a representative of each of the 12 tribes as if to say we are all bought into this together. You know, it's not just Joshua and a couple guys are like, let's go for it. It's, it's the whole nation, all 12 tribes represented in this memorial. The first time when they were supposed to go in the land with Moses, they sent 12 spies and they came back. Two of them were like, we can do this. God is with us. Let's go for it. The other 10 were nervous and scared. And they're like, I don't know. The people are huge and it's scary and it looks like a lot of hard work. And their lack of faith was contagious to the people of Israel, just like faith is contagious. And they missed out on God's blessing. Here in Joshua chapter 4, there's a stone for each tribe as if to say, we are all in this together. As I think about Manuka Bible Church planting a campus in Morris, it can't just be something where Pastor Errol and a few people from the church say, we should do this, let's go for it. it. I think God wants it to be the entire body of believers saying, we are in this together. Some of us will go, some of us will support, some of us will step out, some of us will step up here, back here at the Manuka campus, but it, it can't just be a few people out in front and nobody behind. It must be all... The, the whole church body. I love that it was all of Israel bought in with these 12 stones. So today you came with a stone. And if you didn't, we've got extra for you. But here's what we're going to do with these stones. Pastor Errol's going to come out and, and wrap this up and just lead us through um, like a time of prayer with God. And, and you can turn in these stones. But um, it's a chance to build a memorial. It's a chance to celebrate who God is and what he's done, even though we're aware that there is much work to do, right? It's not like we just turn in these stones and poof, there's a church in Morris and people are coming and we're changing the country, you know? It's like, no, there's a lot of work. Like, we haven't done anything yet, but we can celebrate who God is. We want to build a memorial so that we remember and we worship and we trust him to get us through everything else that he's called us to do. I, uh, I grew up in Morris. I feel like I'm fairly familiar with Morris, but even talking to, to Pastor Errol about maybe coming down here and, and putting a church there, I was like, all right, I want to do some research on Morris. And so, you know, you can go online and look up how many people live there and how fast is the population grown and what's, how old are the, like, what's the median age and how many kids per household. On, you know, you can look at all these stats, but you can also see uh, religious survey statistics. So I, I thought this was really interesting. You can find this online, but, um, and these are old surveys. This is uh, one survey done in the year 2000 and another one, updated in 2010. And honestly, from what I know about national statistics, these have only uh, grown and grown more quickly. I, I, I think we'd be blown away to see if this said an update in 2019. But here's what they show. Uh, that second category of people, evangelical Protestant, that would be like Manuka Bible Church kind of believers, right? The, that kind of church. And that's a small percentage. It was in 2000 and it is in 2010. But that bottom category where it says none, what that means is if you're taking a, a survey, you know, like, what's your religion? You, you didn't check Christian. You didn't check Mormon or atheist or, or, or Muslim or anything against God. You just said, none, I have no religion. I have no God. I am indifferent to the idea of God. I don't care about the, your ideas of God. I just, I have none. I'm good with it. I don't need God. I'm not even aware of my need for God. And what's really sad and really scary is that's not only the biggest percentage of people is by far the fastest growing. And I know from national statistics that that is, since 2010, continued to outpace the rest of the groups by a long shot. And when I look at this, I think, yeah, there is great need. If you've said, why would we go put a church in Morris? Something like this would show because there's literally thousands of people who don't know Jesus and they don't even know that they need Jesus. It reminds me of something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9. It says this, when he, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had 
compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus is walking around and he sees these crowds of people who don't believe in him and he's not angry at them. He, he's not like, they're so stupid. They're so wrong. Why are they against me? Instead, he says, no, they've been deceived and they're unaware. And he says he has compassion on them. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I feel like if, if Jesus was here today and he saw those same stats about the thousands of people that don't know him and don't even know that they need him, he wouldn't be angry at them or, or you know, he would say his heart would break for them. I pray that our heart would break for the lost around us. And as we talk about putting a church in Morris, that it would be for the reason that there are thousands of people who need Jesus and they don't even know it. And he says to his disciples, ask God to send people. But he also sends his disciples. He sends them out and says, my disciples should go and make more disciples. And this is the same call on Jesus' followers in 2019, that we should say, God, I hope that you can send more people. Please give us more people. But also, I'm going to be part of that people. I'm not just going to pray for it. I'm going to step up and do it. Stepping up and stepping out is all about we need people to go and say, I am going to take church with Manuka to Morris. And some people say, maybe God's not calling me to Morris, but I, I'm going to step up my involvement, my commitment here. Because if we're sending a couple of hundred people away, there's a lot more work to be done here as well. And so Pastor Earl is going to lead us in that. But as I thought about reaching Morris, reaching a community, what does it take to reach a community of people? For, throughout church history, it's taken a community of Christians who are real with each other and real with God and real in the world. See, they, I don't think Morris just needs a, a fancier church or a shiny new church or a better version of music. I think they need a community of people who live genuinely in love with God, who care about each other and are real in the world. That when, when people who don't even know they need God see a group of people who are bought into that and have meaning and value and purpose in their life, they'll be attracted to that. And that's why I believe that God is calling this church to that community to reach that group of people. Because Manuka Bible talks about and strives to be a church full of people who are real with God and real with each other and real in the world. And that kind of genuine community is what it's going to take to reach a community of lost people. So before Errol comes out here, I just want to pray. I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for you. And then he'll lead us in some personal time. Heavenly Father. I just, uh, I praise you for your word. Thank you that 3,000 years later, my faith is still inspired by who you are and what you've done and through the people who stepped up. I pray that I will be a person who when I hear your voice, I step in faith, even when it's tough, even when it's scary. I pray for Manuka Bible Church as we uh, talk about and look into sending people into another community to reach more people. Would you be with us every step of the way? I pray for every person in this room right now that your spirit would just speak to them, that your spirit would nudge them to know that you are calling them to be a part of this. We don't want to just have two out of 12 people excited. We want the whole body in on what you're up to. Give us faith, Father. Give us wisdom to know what to do with what you're putting on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.